ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Can I please have your attention? Listeners, this is Jonah Goldberg, host of the Remnant Podcast, brought to you by the Dispatch and Dispatch Media. Uh, come on by um, uh, our shop at thedispatch.com and check out our wares. And if it's to your liking, maybe you can um, join the great and good cause uh, that is our endeavor. Um, okay, so we are going to. This is a this is a sort of a dog days of summer, end of an era kind of thing. We are. Um, I, cause I don't know what my schedule is after next week. Um, so we figured we would kick the tires on one more drive time thing with, uh, the, our, in, the in, inestimable, or in some would say estimable, estimable, uh, Ryan Brown. <laughs> let's and, go with estimable, please. Let's, and, let's lower the bar. <laughs> um, and I've never understood like why inestimable had to be a compliment because like, like it seems to me it's like. You're saying someone can't be estimated and it's yeah. implied that they're because they're so good or they're so talented. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But maybe they they just suck so bad <laughs> that they don't even like, show up on the radar, right? They don't move the needle. And that's inestimable yeah. too. It's like yeah. their suckitude is so profound yeah. or their talent is so microscopic that yeah. it's inestimable. But somehow right. we always say inestimable means good, which you know, with and with that in that context. Let's bring in the inestimable Guy Denton, uh, <laughs> who is um, uh, who, who you've known as the auditory doppelganger of Mark Stein and uh, a two-term intern uh, for Jonah Goldberg Enterprises <laughs> at the Enterprise at the American Enterprise Institute, and uh, we uh, sans fife and drum, sans drum roll, uh, but with much ex- with with inestimable excitement. Uh, want to let the world know that he is officially replacing uh, Nick Pompella as my research assistant at AEI and in all things Jonah. Uh, Guy, welcome back and congratulations. <laughs> I don't know who Guy is. This is Mark Stein. <laughs> you, you missed a golden opportunity there. I thought oh, for man. sure you were going to do that. <laughs> uh, we really could have hoodwinked people. Yeah, probably People have heard you. They they they're not going to like. Oh, he really got Mark on here to pretend. He's, <laughs> you know my RA. Oh man. Yeah, yeah I was going to say uh, you never know of some people. True, but as as I keep saying, you know, in in these friggin' ten thousand business meetings I have every week, uh, one of our philosophies here is we want quality readers over quantity readers, and. Right. Uh, uh, which doesn't mean we don't want a lot of quality readers. It just means that like we don't want to buy cheap readers that churn quickly and or of the type that would actually fall for this Mark Stein gag that you're proposing. <laughs> so um, but this means you are going to be moving to the United States of America. Um, and so you can inhabit the uh, the the kennel by my desk at AI. Um, uh, what, what are we, what are your travel plans? Can you get a visa? What How's that going? Um, well, it's, uh, on the, <laughs> it's on the AEI end at the minute still. I can't really say much until I, until an update comes through. I'm hoping things should be fine. They've made it sound as though things should be fine, despite the situation. So fingers crossed. I mean, we, we were talking about this off, off, uh, 
off the record the other day. And of course, with the virus flaring up again, maybe, and the mask mandates returning and so on, hopefully to, hopefully to all of the assorted pagan deities, that won't cause any that won't cause any serious problems. But otherwise, I, I should I should say for people at home, Jonah, I don't know if, if Ryan has been slipping something in his coffee, but Jonah has been curiously nice over the past few days. He actually sent me a note. Uh, he sent me a note saying, good work, the other night, which I can't I know. I, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I can assure you that is not my doing. <laughs> was, I thought he might have been having a stroke. I was slightly <laughs> concerned. Well, I mean, just so, so you know, for help. I, I, I do believe in saying uh, nice job and good work when I see it and that you haven't gotten that from me before. <laughs> I'm not sure it reflects on me. Um, uh, and I, I do want to say, uh, in case they are listening, that, you know, the, um, the other finalists for the position were... Um, we're really impressive, great people, and I'm sure that great things are going to happen for them. And it wouldn't surprise me if they ended up at AI looking angrily at Guy from across the <laughs> lunchroom from time to time. But, uh, but, um, so are you, I mean, so, I mean, we can, we can just be honest about this. You're hoping that this is going to be a stepping stone to you rejecting the land of your birth and, um, the, or, you know, the author of your being and becoming an American, right? To leave and never come back. Yes, that's been yeah. a lifelong goal. And um, are you going to... So do you have any idea where you're going to live? Um, well, I, I've been kicking a few ideas. The, the good thing about this being in D.C. as opposed to somewhere like New York or the middle of the Idaho woods or something like that <laughs> is I actually know people there. And so that will come in handy with finding... With initially, with initially having a roof to be under when I come over, and then finding having time to find somewhere uh, independently. Plus, hey Ryan, maybe I could use your couch if everything else well, falls through. So I, I was going <laughs> to no. use I, I was going to use this as a segue because I don't know if listeners know this, but we now have what I think is a HR disaster in the making. <laughs> in that. Like a sizable portion of our staff all live together now, right? Yeah, it. We have like I was trying to make this point the other day, and I don't know really how to make it, but we have like way less domiciles among the dispatch staff than we do employees, right? <laughs> so I, in the next few weeks, I will live with Alec and Caleb. So Alec, the fact checker, and Caleb, podcast extraordinaire, uh -huh. uh, rules with an iron fist. Um, and then Audrey and Charlotte also live together. Right. So all kind of within like a mile or two radius of each other. So we're all very excited. Um, but Valerie, guys, I think our HR person was like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> good to know. Yeah. Good to know. Please don't get, get, get me involved with anything. Uh, she told me, she was like, this is the last I want to hear about this. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. We're not allowed to talk about it. And so, so why not talk about it on a podcast? <laughs> yeah. So why not? I mean, that way we just check the box and we can move on. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. uh, guy, I mean, you were free to figure out where the hell you want to live. Uh, you know, during COVID they've suspended the camping rules in public parks here. So there's, that's yeah. always an option. Uh, but you know, uh, or just tell someone you're going to pay rent and then don't, and you can't yeah. be evicted. Yeah. It's great. Um, so you have a spare doghouse, Jonah. Surely I could be comfortable in that. <laughs> uh my dogs sleep in my bed 
So, uh, okay. <laughs> and, and, and so you're not sleeping where the dogs sleep. I can tell you that right now. Um, yeah, I, I have, there, there might, there's having just recently dogs sat. I can assure you that the dogs, the dogs run the house. There's no special spot for just the dogs. Yeah. I mean, there's, there, there's a, there's a dog bed that is in the yeah. kitchen, but you know, it's whatever. And, and Pippa does have that little kennel thing, which she goes into from time to time, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of, she views it as sort of a pied-a-terre in the middle of the house rather than like some yeah. sort of, you know, and I think the door is actually permanently off of it. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, good luck with all that guy. Let me know how it goes. <laughs> and I, think um, I, I gotta say from my perspective, I am most excited for guy to be here just so we can get rid of that horrible, horrible room that you do this podcast in because your sound is so bad. We can finally get you a microphone an unechoey room. And people will actually be able to hear your actual voice. It's true. Everyone complains about the audio. Oh, well, thank you for that, Ryan. I was <laughs> I, I was planning on making a joke about that at some point, but wasn't sure what it was oh. going to come up. So it's been forced through now. That's great. <laughs> yeah, you, you do sound like I should be lowering the lotion to you in the basket. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> all right. So... Uh, where to go from here? Um, what do you guys think of uh, the snake, the Stakem episode, which has had a diverse reaction from people, from what I can tell? Yeah, I'm curious what people said, but I thought it was really interesting. I, uh, I was texting Caleb about it as it was happening. I was like, "This is really good," and he was like, "It's the guy as funny in person as he is online." And I was like, mm. "It's not super funny, yeah, but it is really interesting." Like talking about like the ethics and philosophy of advertising I, I really enjoyed but yeah i guess i also expected it to be funnier but the guy nathan um very nice smart individual but he didn't strike me as i, I think there's some people that are funnier when they write out jokes right oh sure not as yeah, funny yeah, yeah. in person yeah um i also don't think he was trying to be funny uh but i learned a lot and it was to, to hear the history of that account and kind of like online marketing campaigns like that was i thought was great yeah, I am, um, uh, and I say this because, with all respect to the guy, I like the guy. He's clearly a smart guy. Yeah. Uh, um, I thought it was a really interesting podcast. Um, I like listening. I, I can't remember if I've mentioned this on here before, but did I mention that I once spent an evening eavesdropping on three executives from the fountain pen industry? You you did recently. I don't know if it was this. You did somewhere. I, I know I mentioned just, it somewhere, and I just, I just bring yeah. it up because for me, it's sort of like a a bookmark in my brain for how I like <laughs> listening to smart people regard yeah. smart, really informed people about almost anything when they're talking amongst themselves about what they're Professionals. Re- what really, yeah, what really concerns them. I just think it's sort of interesting, and yeah. um, I mean, I I could listen, I could honestly listen to like the the, the heads janitor for a big hospital. <laughs> talking with his staff about like how they're yeah. constantly running out of Clorox because of blah, blah, blah. And I just, I think that stuff is interesting. <laughs> so when I hear people talking about like stuff like advertising, I think it's particularly interesting because I know a little bit more about all that stuff and I think it mm-hmm. overlaps with our world. But all that said, smart guy. I'm grateful to him for being on. I think the Twitter account is brilliant. Uh, I was talking to John Pedoritz about this, texting with John Pedoritz about this this morning. And I was saying they really they would be well advised to hire like a duff beer guy 
like a Joe Azuzu guy who mm-hmm. plays the role of the guy running the uh, Twitter account, right? It doesn't yeah. have to necessarily be a comedian, but right. it would be somebody who sort of, you know, somewhere between Joe Azuzu, who maybe before you always may not remember, but was a big deal in the 80s selling Azuzu cars. Um, okay. You can look up about 4,000 of his ads on, on YouTube. Um, um, and like Ronald Reagan when he was the pitch man for GE. Somewhere right. in there, someone whose voice right. is actually a lot more like the Twitter account. Yeah. And doesn't mean that this guy couldn't do stuff and also sure. like explain that this guy is like part of the, the kayfabe mm-hmm. of it all. But um, uh, because I thought it was really interesting. I'm glad I had him on. But you're right. It was not compellingly entertaining, I think is fair right. to say. And I was kind of hoping right. it would be more entertaining in that sense and yeah uh no one took the bait on or he never took the bait on quite a few of my jokes uh <laughs> which i thought would lead into some some witty carnivore based badinage that yeah, did he not apologize when yeah. he first said like, i don't know if i think he said raising the stakes literally or something like that and he's like sorry and you're like no please <laughs> That's yeah. what, this is why you're on <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is, this, you had one job right. to yeah, bring exactly. steak puns yeah, exactly yeah 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 um have, and, has anyone ever had steakum? Have you oh, ever I have. actually eaten it? I I've never had it, so I, yeah. I want to try it now. It's it's so it worked. It's it's what you'd expect <laughs> it to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is not necessarily condemnation, but it is not necessarily praise either. It's it's yeah. They're inestimable. Um, <laughs> inestimable. <laughs> we found yeah. a new compass, Jonah. There it is. Oh, there it is. I, I will tell you though. Uh, one criticism I got or we got from in the comment section, which I thought was on point and I'm embarrassed about it is that, uh, it's sort of twofold. One, lots of people who aren't on Twitter. It took them a long time to figure out why the hell this guy was there. And I should have mm. done more of a setup and, and it sort of kind of shows how too online I am that it didn't yeah. sufficiently occur to me. Um, yeah. and two, Something I really didn't anticipate, you know, one, I'm ashamed of the not anticipating the Twitter part of it because I, I should, I make this point yeah. about how most people are on Twitter all the time. And yet <laughs> here I go having a, you know, a Twitter celebrity on and without explaining right. that he's a Twitter celebrity. So that's bad. And that's on me. The other thing I did not, the other criticism I, which I did not expect is that there were apparently a large number of people out there who don't know what Stakem is. And I had to, and I did not define the product until like 23 minutes into the show. And I, I should have just done an explainer first five minutes, you know, of, like, I should have told you to do that because I, I had to look up, I had to look up both the stake and Twitter account and what stake. <laughs> I thought it was like an Arby's like style restaurant. Uh-huh. And then probably about 23 minutes into the podcast, I was like, oh no, it's clearly not that. And then uh, I had to look up what it yeah, was. They're, so. they're frozen sheets of processed meat. Right. That's, that's yeah, what that's what yeah, they are. Yeah. I mean, that's that's there's no, there's no getting around that. You know, right. they're not pate, um, right. and uh, and they're not and like, frankly like super thinly sliced ribeye or anything. Yeah, like f- to understand the podcast, you don't really need to know what it is, but I guess it kind of helps. Yeah, well, sort of on my thing about like listening to um, uh, uh, the the fountain pen people. Um, yeah. I didn't understand all the terms that they were using, but I found, you know, right. like 
you know, and I, and I look, I, I'm fully aware that there are people when they hear me starting to talk about like, you know, you know, the philosopher Eric Vigellin and, you know, immunitizing the eschaton and stuff like that. They don't re a lot of people don't really understand what a lot of that stuff, but they like listening to it. It's, you know, it's, it, it's interesting. I mean, I'll give you, um, this is from the Wikipedia um, entry. And, I, and again, apologies to Stakeham. I think, I still think I, 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 the product's pretty good. I mean, for what it is, yeah. it's, it's pretty good. But I thought that the uh, definition, the the description from a lawsuit in 2012 that is quoted lawsuit? in Wikipedia, uh, yeah, it, it, it was like a copyright infringement thing. It wasn't like a food poisoning oh. kind of thing. Okay. Um, uh, Judge Lawrence Stengel described the product as, quote, chopped and formed emulsified meat product that is comprised of beef trimmings <laughs> left over after an animal was slaughtered and all of the primary cuts, such as tenderloin filet and ribeye, are removed. The emulsified <laughs> meat is pressed into a loaf and sliced, frozen, and packaged. So it's there you go. It's meatloafy <laughs> <Yeah>. at best, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, there you go. But that's, comma that, that also gives out philosophical. That's right. <laughs> that's it. That's winner yeah. for me for the for like the first year on the job, right there. You just summed it up. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, stake him, stake him. If you're listening, please send guy some free food. <laughs> yeah. He's gonna need it. Guy's gonna get used to saying the phrase. Are you going to eat your fat, Mr. Goldberg? Um, <laughs> all right. So we, we should uh, uh, move on to some sort of rank punditry type stuff. Uh, again, congratulations to the guy. You, of course, live to regret it. Um, I already and, do. Uh, <laughs> um, thank you to Stakem. Uh, thank you to Stakem. Apologies to Stakem for if anything was taken as being in anything other than love. Um, <laughs> Uh, so where should we go now? Um, I mean, Jonah, you mentioned the crossover of advertising and mm. what we do every day, which is yeah. politics. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll sit down advertising. I want to say I, I, that's something I wanted to ask. Um, okay, uh, uh British kid. Um, uh, <laughs> it's the he, simplest name in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, actually. <laughs> it's really just guy. You, got, you know way, what I can do? From now on, I'm going to refer to him as British guy with a lower yeah. G, because <laughs> I can't remember what his name is. Uh, um, so guy and i were recently on the comment section podcast which is like our the dispatch fan account and i had to clear up guy but that that is your actual name i asked him your god-given name is guy uh, yeah, I, right. gave, I gave ryan a, a look of disgust through the screen then much like i'm doing now but yes <laughs> i assumed it was a nickname honestly i didn't think it was his actual name but that's your name no but it's like it's got to have like some rich norman history like Gilefage or something, you know, like oh, I hope it does from that kind of thing. Um, so, uh, British guy, do you um, <laughs> do you eat marmite? I have actually never tried it. In all honesty, oh, do you God. eat marmite, Ryan? No, but like he should. He should. You know, he should. I yeah. mean, and the the great irony is he will when he comes to America. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to do more British things in this country than you've ever done in your life. Because <laughs> um, I heard a piece on NPR the other day about Marmite advertising campaign that has been hugely successful in the UK that um, they came up, you know, because people stopped. Can you explain what Marmite is or are you going to force me to explain what Marmite is? Um, a deeply salty black tarish substance. That's the best description I can give. Okay. I think that's what Judge Lawrence, whatever his name was, was defined <laughs> it as. <laughs> um, 
All right. Uh, it's a little more, it's a little more interesting than that because it was invented in Germany and to feed the, the hungry militaristic Teuton nation. And, uh, Oh really? And the Germans rejected it and the British picked it up. Um, let me see. Wikipedia. Okay. Uh, Marmite is a food spread made from yeast extract invented by German scientist Eustace von Liebig and originally made in the United Kingdom. It is a byproduct of beer brewing and is currently produced by the British company Unilever. Excuse me. Yeah. The original reason they came up with it is because it's like it was it's vegan and a huge source of vitamin B and other stuff. And hmm. so they, they forced it on like a whole generation of of British soldiers and whatnot. This is a health product? First World War, yeah. And so anyway, if you've ever tried it, it really does taste like um, what it is, which is like a it, it, the yeast, they put like salt or something in the yeast, and the, or do they, they do something to the yeast that makes the yeast consume itself and produce this alkaline, salty byproduct. So, I mean, think of like the, the goo coming out of one of the pods in alien and then convincing it to eat itself and produce some viscous byproduct. That's what Marmot is. And then and Brits put it on toast. So I don't blame Guy for wanting to leave that country. But um <laughs> yeah, for Ryan, years take that. <laughs> it was like part of your healthy breakfast, sort of like, you know, Popeye the spinach kind of thing. And uh and uh it went out of favor because all of a sudden Brits realized that they weren't living in a bunker during a nuclear holocaust and could eat other things. And, and so Marmite, <laughs> the, this, these advertising guys at, at, at wherever, uh, came up with this, I think, brilliant ad campaign, which I kept wanting to bring up with, um, uh, Steakum guy, uh, because what they did was they said the ad campaign was like openly love it or hate it. And they would la they would have one person speaking from the love it perspective and one person speaking from the hate it perspective. They oh, would even do commercials like at the beginning of the commercial break they would run something about loving marmite and then the second at, at the at the end of the commercial break they would have the second commercial come in about hating marmite both paid for oh, by wow. Mar marmite which i just think is just yeah, kind of yeah, brilliant yeah, yeah, yeah. and what they did is they started a big national debate sort of cultural debate sort of like is the dress yellow and gold or blue yeah, yeah, and whatever yeah. you know about marmite which got the name huh. id back up which got people sort of taking sides and investing either yeah. pro or anti-Marmite, you know, hot, is a hot dog a sandwich or not kind of civil war. Yeah. And um, I think it's sort of a, just a brilliant way of like figuring, okay, you're never going to get the whole market, but if you could actually trigger half the market to come to your defense, that's a huge boost when in reality you only have like 2% of the market. And Yeah, risky though in case you lose the argument. <laughs> For sure. Unless, every, unless everyone's like, actually, you know what? This is really bad. And then my no God. one buys it ever again. Yeah, my God, this tastes like death. Yeah, vegan, <laughs> yeah. vegan death. Um, and they know it, and they and they're with it. <laughs> but <laughs> they're it not is changing it at all. There are things that if you were forced to eat a lot when you were a kid, either you'll never eat again, or you have this yep. weird sort of this reminds me of home, kind of the end of ratatouille kind of feeling of you know this this is this is safety yep. food and. Just I, the perversity of the British to do that around Marmite, I think, is really kind of weird, but it is what it is. Um, but Guy has nothing to offer this because Guy partakes in no aspects of British culture whatsoever. He is such a self-hating, deracinated Anglo. Um, it's just very, very strange.
you have anything to offer here? Or are you going to let the Irish guy and the Jewish guy talk about your culture? Some yeah, <laughs> I honestly don't. That's the funny thing. I thought when you said before we started recording that we were going to do this, I thought, oh, advertising in this country. I'll be familiar. I'll know what he's talking about. You've picked the one subject that's completely <laughs> alien to me. <laughs> uh, we, well, we don't know it's the one subject. All we know is that 100% of the subjects I've picked are alien wow. to you, which is <laughs> yeah. you know, continues to amaze me. Okay. When, when was the Marmite campaign? Like what? You years? know, that I don't remember. I'd have to go back and look. Okay. I think it started a while ago and then they just recently brought it back or something like that. Oh, okay. Um but um I'm that's the kind of thing that if I had a good research assistant we could find out. Um <laughs> Okay, so politics. What were we saying about politics? Well, we were going to Yeah. And the uh the the weird crossovers and similarities there. Um and just last night, there was the, uh, I think it was last night, was when the world first saw We the People Wine. Uh, oh, yeah. Their advertisement. Um, actually, we should play a little of that for the listeners. When I drive into a neighborhood and there are American flags, it's a message of white supremacy. I'm warning of an eradication of the American memory that could result in an erosion of the American spirit. We need to completely dismantle the police department. If we forget what we did, we won't know who we are. We've got to do a better job of getting across that America is free, and freedom is special and rare. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise. Yeah, so look, I mean, I, I watched that thing, and I guess the radio guy, Chris Stiegel, teased it saying i wish i could say this was a republican ad um uh because it's you know the call is biting stuff about critical race theory and blah 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 blah. and Mm -hmm. um and it's really good i gotta say it's also it's just up to the line of like a commercial in the simpsons you know i was just gonna say that yeah because it's, it's almost a parody of itself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it made me think of the, um, I don't know if you remember the episode where they go to the Super Bowl and it cuts to a commercial of, um, a commercial parody is one of the old ZZ Top videos where a guy pulls up to a car wash and a bunch of scantily clad women come out and wash his car. And then as he drives up, it says, the Catholic Church, we've made a few changes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, uh, I now you chase that out of my head. Um, (laughs) um, because I, I you're right. Like, I would watch that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, like, same thing. Like, I could see that as an SNL does ads also, and it truly like the way they present the wine too. Just like in the last ten seconds, yeah, we did people want. It's just it almost it does border on parody. Well, like, did you ever see? You ever see the ads for the American? Um, it was a cane. Was that like a Fox News? Ad? It was on Fox News. Yes, uh, <laughs> and it had uh, and and I I, I want to say that maybe the American cane is a derivative subproduct of the hurricane. If I have that right, um, we, that I think I've seen. Actually. Yeah, so I, I think that's right. It was like. Uh, the Hurricane unleashed their newest product, which I believe was the American. Regardless, yeah. what it was, it was it's a cane, right? It's a cane, like yeah. you know, like which is a little more fancy than the kind that has four 
punctured tennis balls each on the <laughs> lens, right? Yeah. And but it begins with this sort of like uh, you know old man out of the end of Saving Private Ryan saluting a flag, and it goes, says something like, "This is the greatest country that there has ever been," <laughs> and the people who served are the greatest people who ever served, and um, and that's why they deserve the greatest cane ever made. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I like the Patriots at some level, but there's just something yeah. like a little bit uh, as well. Um, well, it's just uh, interesting, like rela- relating to the Stakem guy, like he kind of talked about, I think you asked him, like, do you ever feel, I'm, I'm forgetting the exact wording and everything, but like, is there any, like any guilt? Like, do you ever realize, oh, I'm also, I'm just selling a product here. And re- at the end of the day, that's what it is. And he, he kind of mentioned, he was like, yeah, there's like a little bit of, guilt that comes with that because like he's making important points but also still stel- selling stakeum yeah so there was like a little shame these people just have no shame whatsoever <laughs> yeah they, they just don't care <laughs> they're uh, they're just trying to sell stuff but we should have a little equal time here this morning i was ranting to my wife as i often do in the morning as she can attest and um <laughs> um she'll often say things like it's like i'm watching you write a g file just because i start <laughs> ranting things at the tv and um, uh, one of my new favorite—I I shouldn't say it's new—one of my favorite obsessions uh, is are the are the self-promotional commercials on MSNBC. Um, the one oh, I used, this, yeah, the one I used to rant, yeah, like the this is this is this is who, this we, is are, who we are, you know. Oh, that I know those stuff. all too well, I and know those um, all too well, uh, and the the one I used to love the most which was mostly just on Siri on the serious radio feed for MSNBC was the one for Rachel Maddow where um just the where she they her tagline was something like just the facts without fear or favor and yeah. like yeah lover or hater she's one of the most rabidly partisan and biased <laughs> i mean like yeah. i mean she's i mean like yeah. you could say she makes better arguments or worse arguments i don't want to get into that kind of thing but she's yeah. no less of a rabid partisan than Hannity or, or, or Carlson or any of those guys. Yeah. But now they're doing these ads uh, to promote. I can't remember who the other person is, but one of them is Jonathan Capehart, who's got like this Saturday show, which I am sure yeah. the only people who are watching are the people who can't get the nurse to come in to change the channel. <laughs> but um, uh, sh- the uh, I love this because they do this a lot on on MSNBC where the narrator says, you know, it's like uh, the best guests and ask and asks Jonathan Capehart asks the most probing questions or Jonathan Capehart asks the, the most piercing, important questions, whatever. And they're yeah. always banal, like <laughs> conventional wisdom, the exact questions like <laughs> your 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 journalism intern right for the college paper would come up with. And it's so like the one that right. just saw this morning is Jonathan Capehart is asking Anthony Fauci because, you know, you, you never get a chance to see Anthony Fauci unless you're <laughs> tuning into freaking Jonathan Capehart at 7.30 in the morning on a Saturday. Um, you know, but I, I think I think Fauci has literally given advertises, given interviews to the freaking coupon sampler at the Safeway. But uh, Capehart said, you know, they cut to Capehart for his probing, insightful question. And he says, should we be worried about the unvaccinated? <laughs> <laughs> really? 
I mean, um, and after the break, George Conway, whether or not Trump should be impeached. <laughs> exactly. <you know? laughs> like, come on. <laughs> um, all right. Anyway, uh, we should probably do something more serious than this. Um, guys, since your country doesn't actually have a constitution, do you have a, <laughs> do you have strong feelings about Joe Biden admitting that he's going to violate the constitution and, and extend the rent moratorium thingy? Uh, I obviously don't care very much for it. Uh, don't really agree with it. But, you know, I, I know nothing about the American Constitution, of course. All the reading I have ever done is on this country, and I'm exclusively <laughs> an expert on its political framework. <laughs> I see what he's up to now. I got it, yeah. Um, uh, That's why you hired me, Jonah, for in- <laughs> incomparable humor like that. <laughs> Inestimable. In, yeah, uh, inestimable. <laughs> I think you know the title of this podcast. <laughs> Until this morning, I could pronounce that word no problem, but now it's, it's, <laughs> it's like I had one of those micro strokes where I forgot the letter R or something. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, just on, on, on that stuff, uh, you know, the Wall Street Journal and NR have been all over it. I agree with Charlie Cook and all those guys. Um, Charlie had a good post in the corner this morning. Um, Ed Kilgore writing in New York magazine, just couldn't understand why f- folks like Charlie and me, like I said the same thing on Twitter a couple of days ago, that we have a problem when the president of the United States violates his oath of office. <laughs> um, it's like, why Blatantly, would you, you know, like it, it admits to it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's like says the quiet part out loud. And, and, yeah. um, um, and we talked about this a bunch, you know, if people are looking for actual substance, they can go elsewhere. Uh, so like <laughs> the Wednesday, the, the, the flagship dispatch podcast. Yes. Um, we talked about this a bunch, but like, this has been a, you know, I've been banging my spoon on my high chair about this for a very long time. And that like, it is, there's a very robust debate about whether or not, um, the, the founders ever intended for the Supreme court to be the, um, to, do, to have judicial review, never mind oh, sure. play the role right. it does in, um, uh, being the, you know, the arbiter of what the Constitution means, and yeah. I think the founders pretty clearly didn't intend necessarily judicial review, but did intend for the Supreme Court to rule on the constitutionality of at least state law. And I think that the the people who say it is implied from the structure of the Constitution that you know Marbury versus Madison is correct, or I'm fine with that. Let's put sure. it this way: there's a long precedent of judicial review, and that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but no one thought that, like, the only oaths that you had to honor were the ones the Supreme Court took. You know, I mean, right. like, the president takes an oath to uphold the Constitution, and yeah. so does Congress. And um, I was asking... It wasn't intended to be a dumping ground just for everything. Yeah, I mean, right. it's sort of like yeah. those old... Since we're doing a lot of bad advertising, it's like those old Mikey commercials where they just slide the bowl down to Mikey. And it's like, he'll eat it, he'll eat anything. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. like, yeah, exactly. Have yeah. the Supreme Court deal with this. And, right. and it's, it's not supposed to simply be the 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 broom behind the elephant on everything and mm-hmm. and bush was bad about this but i thought uh, i thought sarah made a very good point on the dispatch pod when at least the when he said he thought parts of it weren't constitutional uh in terms of mccain feingold um congress had just passed it right. so like it really was the will of congress to do this thing which has more merit Congress refused to act on this thing, just sort of like with Obama and DACA. And the Supreme Court flatly said, don't do it. 
Yeah. Don't yeah. do it. This is not yeah. kosher. And they yeah. did it anyway. And so it's just, it's grotesque to me, but like, I, I think on the merits, presidents should be impeached for this kind of thing, but obviously that's not going to happen and, right. and that's fine. And that's, I don't think it's a calamity because that's the country we live in. It's not, yeah. you know, it's, it's, but at the same time, um, um, the fact that nobody talks about whether something is constitutional or not anymore is really very sad to me. You know, I mean, it's yeah. like in, it used to be that in Congress you had to have a statement on the constitutionality of the legislation before it could leave committee or something like that. Mm -hmm. And if, if they couldn't get that steal of approval that it was that they themselves deemed it to be constitutional, um, yeah. it was dead. Right. I mean, and it, yeah. it just, it seems obvious to me, let's say like if someone proposed legislation to uh, intern all left-handed people, which is like there's a there's a certain you know reasonableness to that I think but sure. um, but it's unconstitutional. You would it's like wet. to think that it wouldn't have to go all the way through past the president's right. desk to the Supreme Court for somebody yeah. else who also <laughs> took an oath to uphold the Constitution to say, hey, by the right. way, this is unconstitutional. Um, <laughs> yeah. As much as I would like to round up all the sinister people. Um, uh, we can't do it because it's unconstitutional. Sinister, of course, it's, it's Latin wordplay for left-handed people. But anyway, right. um, what also kind of made me laugh about it is, so Biden said this, like the first day it came out and then yeah. he doubled down the next day. He said the exact same thing. Wouldn't you think someone in the white house would like, would say, Hey, like maybe just try selling it and not stop saying that there's a couple people out there that probably don't think it's going to work out. It's just crazy to me that no one no one corrected the messaging on that. Yeah, and it's also because, like, I mean, my 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 reading of what he's saying is is wink wink. We know it's unconstitutional, but this buys us yeah. some time, right? Right. And to me, it's the constitutional equivalent of saying, "Yes, I know this is a bad check I'm writing, and I don't have the funds to cover it, but yeah. it will take you several days." to find out from the bank that I have no money and I am defrauding yeah. you and yeah. I need that time. I mean, that's, that's what it sort of boils down to. We can, we can round up enough left-handers to where this won't be a problem anymore in enough time <laughs> to fix that problem before it's deemed unconstitutional. That's right. Cause we just got to get rid of the conspicuous ones. You know, yeah. I mean, if they, if they can pass as right-handers, uh, let them pass. But, yeah. You know. Sorry, Kevin, my brother's left-handed. Um, all right. Um, Cory Bush. I wrote down yeah, Cory Bush. Of, we don't get to talk about Democratic. Uh, oh, I'm forgetting the word. I'm going to cut this. It's literally like it starts with an H and H Y. Hypocrisy. Yeah. Forgot the word. We're going to get you the best doctors, right? <laughs> <laughs> I knew I should have made more coffee before. Hypocrisy on this sure is inestimable, isn't it? Was <laughs> How do they know the first two letters? But not? That's the weird thing <laughs> to me. That's, yeah. like, that is I a sign. See the, I could see the word in my brain. I just couldn't remember it. That's oh. like when uh, Homer says, you know, pass the thing scoop food with. Yeah. And Marge is like, yes, you mean a spoon, homie? <laughs> um, anyway, Cory Bush. Cory Bush. Um, I, 
so I tweeted like I I hate um so we should and we actually we could play this audio too that'd be very exciting right yeah I was thinking that too yeah, yeah wow we were like, we're becoming like grown ups um, we're pros yeah um and it's all because Nick left look at that totally <laughs> he was the logjam. I'm going to make sure I have security because I know I have had attempts on my life and I have too much work to do. There are too many people that need help right now for me to, to allow that. So if I end up spending 200000 if I spend 10, 10, 10 more dollars on it, you know what? I get to be here to do the work. So suck it up and defunding the police has to happen. We need to defund the police. That was that was what Cori Bush said on defunding the police yet having her own personal security. Yeah, so like... um. I mean, the ads write themselves, uh, you know, I, yeah. I tweeted that this is like a, it's like she's a plant from the NRCC, um, you know, working behind enemy lines um, in Mufti yeah. as a progressive Democrat to um, um, make Democrats look bad. And, uh, and the thing is, you know, so I, I guess I have two points of punditry about this. One, um, um, Eric Erickson in his newsletter has this makes this good point is that as bad as Marjorie Taylor Greene and and those people are, um, they're not promoted by conservative media as the spokesman of the Republican Party. Kevin McCarthy, yeah, as 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 embarrassing as I think he is these days, does not give them the kind of oxygen uh, that would let the media portray them that way and. Meanwhile, Nancy Pelosi and, and and MSNBC and CNN and the New York Times and all those people, they give AOC and the squad, which is such a ridiculous name, um, all the rope they want. I mean, they give them all the oxygen they want to be portrayed as the authentic like conscience of the party and the representatives of the base of the party in ways that are just, they might not be as crazy as Marjorie Taylor Greene, but talk about like low bars. Um, and, but they're vastly more influential or cast as vastly more influential. And it's one of these things where I just, you know, everyone thinks that like left-wing media bias is always an advantage for Democrats. And sometimes it's a huge problem for Democrats. Cause I mean, we've talked about yeah. this before with the Latinx stuff, which we can talk about again in a second. Yeah. You know, and the defund the police stuff when when the mainstream media treats that stuff as if it's real and what liberals are supposed to believe that's really bad for the democratic party and right. because normal human beings don't think that stuff is remotely reasonable and so yeah. when Cory Bush is, is doing that kind of thing it's terrible for the democrats the fact that she first said it to CBS the fact that it's gotten a lot of play um is is really bad for Democrats. And, and, you know, just since we're on the media criticism point, I completely agree with conservatives who complain about the Republicans pounce meme, you know, or, uh, you know, thing where the, right. They're latching on now. Jonah. Yeah. Did now the, we've moved on to latching on, right? Yes. Latching on is yes. a new thing. And, um, and Lachlan Marquet, who I have an enormous amount of respect for is a good guy. Mm -hmm. But he was asking in good faith last night on Twitter is like, you know, well, how else are we supposed to describe this process if, without using phrases like that? And yeah. I think it's the wrong question. The question isn't like, you know, the issue isn't that yeah, yeah, you can also say that Democrats latch onto or Democrats pounce, that right. kind of thing. And 
there are those stories do get written. I think the the numbers are much more asymmetrical in how often this is with Republicans versus how often it is with Democrats. But fine, yep. you know that happens on both sides. The thing that, that is really a double standard, though, is that sometimes Republicans just say awful things, mm-hmm. and the media reports it as being awful in its own right, not Democrats pounce, right? It's like, no, this guy said, you know, rape is okay. And that's outrageous in its own right. Not as a sort of, as an issue for Democrats to latch onto. That's like a third day story. And very rarely do you get that kind of stuff with Democrats. It's always like, look how Republicans are exploiting this issue with Democrats. And I think that's the real problem. But um, it's like, I mean, more, more often than not, way more often than not, Republicans are the bad guy, mm-hmm. right? And they're kind of portrayed as a bad guy. Like, good guys don't pounce or latch right. on right. to even though what she said was crazy and, and just right. the, inherently the, uh, hypocritical. The subtext, right? The subtext of the of the pounce or latch on or whatever is Republicans un- uh, fairly make a yeah. really big deal out of X, right? That's the right. thing. It's right. like, um, and, um, and, you know, or, Oh, look at those Republicans demagoguing. Yeah. Whatever, you know? And, um, and I think that that's a legit, I mean, look, liberal media bias is a real thing. I, we can have a big argument about how important it is as, as a problem or an explanation for all sorts of things. But it's just it's just factually a real thing. And my point is, is that sometimes liberal media bias is actually a problem for Democrats rather than than um, uh, I mean, let's put it this way. If the New York Times editorial board had said, which I think is the absolute reasonable thing to say, you don't have to say it this way, but just the, the substance of it would be absolutely reasonable. If the New York Times had said at the beginning of the George Floyd protests and all that. Police abuse is terrible and must be investigated and and um and rooted out as much as humanly possible but defunding the police is a profoundly stupid idea yeah uh (laughs) that would have been good for democrats not bad for democrats right but like saying no to the base of the party about socialism or all these kinds of things is not in their nature and it 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 or at least in the group think and so it creates problems for democrats and because then other democrats watch it on tv and so like we were talking off off air about this new was it pew poll uh gallup yeah so finally someone did a more authoritative poll i've been quoting this one which was from a progressive mark you know a consulting group for a while now but they they polled hispanic americans and once again it turns out that nobody outside of a latina studies center at bryn mawr uses the phrase latinx seriously um, yeah. What was the total number? He, yeah, so here, here's the actual wording from everything. So this is Hispanic Americans' preferred term for their ethnic group. Poll was done between June 1st and July 5th this year. Uh, the term Hispanic, 23%. Latino, 15%. Latinx, 4%. And then, Jonah, your favorite part, does not matter, 57%. Right. So the, that, I actually do think, I mean, the Latinx thing is the thing that people want to dunk on because... It's so yeah. stupid, you know, but, yeah. um, uh, oh, the, this is great. So, sorry, one more. If uh, they had to choose same, same subgroup of people, if they had to choose Hispanic, 57%, Latino, th- 37%, Latinx, 
Latinx five percent. Right. So even if they had to choose, and, and so can you no tell? One. Can you tell from that if they could only choose from those names, right? They could also say no opinion. Okay, because I, I I bet you because I've seen other polling about this that if you ask people, if you ask Mexican Americans, their first choice would be Mexican American. Um, oh, okay. Because you know, we, I mean, like again, guy is different, but most people <laughs> like have some pride about the country they come from. And, um, uh, I'm like three generations removed from Irish and I say, I say I'm Irish. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like, and also, so like, like, like Mexican Americans, whatever generation we're talking about have as much warm feeling towards their culture and our identity on average. I'm sure there are, there are guy Dentons of Latino (laughs) descent, but, uh, they were were born in the wrong place though, Joda. We've talked about this before. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I I, I get it. I get it. Look, I I, I salute your patriotism. I'm just going (laughs) to. mock your anti-Britishism because it's like like I get being born like Peter Schramm was in Hungary and thinking I need to be in America but like being born in the UK looking around and going this is stifling I must get out is just weirder to me and it, you know, it, it has not been easy for me it has been brutal I have to say much like it was for Charlie before he came over just a terrible life yeah but I mean look I mean Charlie's weird too. I love the guy, but you know, he's an odd duck. Um, uh, lives in Florida of all places. Come on. That's voluntarily. Um, yeah, he loves guns <laughs> more than most Americans do. He loves guns more than most. That's that's He actually loves the constitution more than most Americans do too. Right. But, um, yeah. uh, but like most Mexican Americans like, like Mexican culture and Mex, you know, or Mexican American culture. Yeah. They, and, and they have the same sort of historical, cultural baggage about, I don't know, Nicaraguan culture. Versus, you know, it's like right. Germans have attitudes towards Belgians. Brits have attitudes towards exactly, Irish and yeah. French. Right. I'm not saying they're all yeah, bigots right, or anything yeah. like that. But like <laughs> Cubans and Mexicans, they have disagreements. Right. And and so like most of people from those ethnicities, I mean, most American, you know, like it's the old joke in the old joke used to be if you ask somebody, you know, where they're from or what their ethnicity is. And if they say European, then, you know, they're German because <laughs> like the Germans were just so ashamed to call themselves German yeah. that they created like this yeah. European identity. Um, <laughs> like a lot of people are proud to say that they're, have, they're you know, from a Mexican culture. And, and so right. like I've seen other polling saying their first choice is their own ethnicity. Then second would be Hispanic or Latino. And then, a little further down from hey you or <laughs> latino guy is latinx um <laughs> bumblebee and, man from the from the simpsons that's my choice <laughs> um and uh but the 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 great thing about it is the great thing about the 57 percent or whatever that number was about don't yeah, care 57 or yeah. doesn't matter is that that's a, just a huge f you to the the entire rainbow of identity politics approaches to this right it's like I'm more than this one ethnic label that you want to slap on me. And so I don't really care very much, you know, and that's the most American response in a lot of ways is it's not like I'm sure the people who say I, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that they're not proud to be Mexican or Nicaraguan or El Salvador right. or whatever. It just means eh, I got other things to do, you know, How and much of this I wonder 
Oh, go ahead, guy. How much of the promotion of this do you think is due is just due to the internet warping people's brains and making them care far too much about things that don't matter at all? Because that was something that was hinted at, but only explored to a, to a certain extent on the on the Stakem show. Um, I think you know you've heard me quote Orwell a bunch of times on this. You know where he says. A man can feel himself a failure and take to drink and then become all the more of a failure because he drinks. Um, <laughs> uh, I think the trends in our politics, yeah, for all the you've all live in big bingo card reasons, um, we're going this way for a very long time. And Twitter is like the culture go, taking it's taking to drink, right? It makes a lot of this yeah. stuff worse. It's an accelerant. Um, and the further you like if you don't, if you didn't drink in 18th century London, um, if you never partook of gin, um, you'd be far less likely to see like sailors barfing on themselves and getting shanghaied and all sorts of stuff. So you might not think saloon culture was as bad as if you were like in a saloon all the time, you know, that kind of thing. I guess a yeah. pub, um, tavern, um, hobbit hole, whatever you guys call them. <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Um, I wouldn't know. <laughs> and uh, guys basement whatever he doesn't leave the house but so like on twitter it's like all of these cultural trends make us drunker and therefore we see these problems even worse or something like that there's a good yeah. analogy in there somewhere and we'll <laughs> we'll we'll get to, we'll get an inter intern to root around at it like a yeah. truffle pig um <laughs> the dispatch is losing all of our interns they were so great if you're listening you guys were awesome we're gonna miss it's you. true and i feel bad that we didn't get them on here um you know, someday. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, oh, the, the last thing on the Corey Bush thing. Um, uh, the and I had guy look for it. I haven't seen what you came up with yet, but um, nothing specific. Actually, yeah. I couldn't find any record of us saying anything, anything clear, explicit about it. Yeah. No. I mean, I poked around a bit in like in Lexus too, and it's it's hard. But anyway, um, when her her argument that. Well, of course, she needs security because she's an important person who's doing right. important things, which is very much a kind of neo-aristocratic kind of point of view. Um, um, of it's course, I need a Praetorian guard because I, yeah, well, you know, it's weirdly at the root of all our problems. Like we think our individual selves are more important than everybody else. Right. In Through the guise of thinking, no, but I do. I care about everybody else. Right. And it's. um and so, like, her thinking she needs security, and of course she deserves to spend taxpayer dollars on her security is worthwhile. Um, but nobody else needs security. Uh, the again, it's this is not a the problem with this does not require you know massive amounts of deep insight and exegesis. It's like it's on the surface. It's profoundly dumb, which is why you know you're going to hear that quote in a thousand ads, but. It seems to me the more interesting way to think about it is imagine taking that argument to public schools, right? Like, of course, my kids need to go to an elite private school, a taxpayer or, or an elite, a great school at taxpayer expense or whatever. But, you know, the rest of you people, um, you know, we need to take that money and put it elsewhere. I mean, the idea that paying for police isn't at the core of social solidarity and a social safety net 
it's literally the safety in the social yeah. safety net. Right. And right. it is fascinating to me how the left, which is constantly telling us government can do everything and the state is wonderful and all these kinds of things, the one institution of state of domestic statecraft, as it were, that best symbolizes the actual role of the state according to every political theory that exists except anarchism are police forces. You know, I mean, you go back to Max Weber, the state has a monopoly on violence. It's the only one that's allowed to use the violence. It's the only one that has a legitimate use of force. And um, and they're like, that's the one thing that's got to go away. And yet, almost everything that they want to make a law about, you know, like, let's put it this way. Who's the state going to send when a landlord evicts someone, quote unquote, <laughs> illegally, if there are no yeah. police? Right. I mean, yeah, the yeah. only way the left gets to impose the laws that it wants is if there are people with guns who are going to do it for them. And they, right. that's the one group that they don't want. And it's just very weird to me. Yeah. And don't people like. That that need the police the most also want more police. Yeah. In, in, in their regions, like no one's asking for less police there if you live in a bad area. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I ran about this so many times, but like the polling even at the height of the defund the police stuff last summer, uh, the polling the polling was something along like these lines. It was something like, uh, you know, 70, 80% wanted more police or the same amount of police. And like 20% yeah. wanted fewer police. And yeah. there were a handful of people who said, see, aha, uh -huh, there is support for stuff on the police. And there was like, <laughs> no, there's like, there's literally not a single person in that poll that says no police. Yeah. Right. I mean, like yeah. I I'm for fewer taxes. That doesn't right. mean I'm for no taxes. And, um, although make me an offer, you know, but the, yeah, right. the, the stupidity of, of the defund the police thing philosophically, politically, and all the rest is just so symbolic. And you would just think it's, I mean, like Rahm Emanuel, I, I was never a big Rahm Emanuel fan, but at least he liked getting elected. And one of the things he kind of like understood when he was running the NRCC and all that stuff, for the, uh, no, the, and, and the DCCC, when he was, you know, in Congress was, you have to run your, if you're a party, you have to run candidates who can win in the places they're running. And like running AOC types in, right. West Virginia is just stupid, right? And it's it's not it's not yeah. like moving you know moving the envelope or advancing the ball right. towards change. It's it's just wasting right. money, you know, and getting Republicans yeah. elected. Anyway, okay, so we're 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 going to try to do this to time, but um, guy, I'm very excited about a piece that you're working on, and uh, um, uh, why don't you uh, tell us what it is that you're doing? Which I did yes. not put you up to, for the record. <laughs> Jonah, Jonah definitely did not. It's a profile of Mark Stein uh, concentrating on his years in Canada. No, it, it is actually a... Guy's, guy's really playing his hits on the last... He really is. <laughs> he's he's, he's going to ride the Mark Stein doppelganger donkey <laughs> to death. Really it's, its legs hard. are broken. I'm having to push it along. But still, <laughs> someone out there laughed at that, I can guarantee uh, but the uh, the actual article, and Jonah did not put me up to this, but once I once I had gathered the extent that Jonah's Simpsons obsession almost equals mine, it seemed like a good idea. I though I have no embarrass an embarrassingly large amount about the Simpsons and how its golden years were made back in the nineties, mainly because I 
should have gone outside a lot more when I was a kid <laughs> instead of watching VHS tapes on endless loops. And so I got the I got the idea to do a, a, a reported piece initially just on that and on what the writer's room used to be like with um, um, it's the word I'm searching for. This is my hypocrisy with, <laughs> with in, input. I, that'll do input from various writers over the years. But so many of them uh, have got back to me and have said, yes, we'd love to get involved and share our memories. But this is probably going to blow up into a giant oral history of the first decade of the That's show. Really cool. It should be coming out in the dispatch within a month, probably, because a lot of the interview prep is already finished. Wow. That's great. Did you talk to Conan? Yeah, did well, you Well, this is, we need, just as there is a successful petition, sponsor guy's visa, get guy hired full time, <laughs> that panned out. Now we need a, a get guy to talk to Conan petition so that he can also introduce Jonah to Conan. So it's a win for everyone. That would be so funny to me if you, if Guy introduced Conan to Jonah. I, would, I, I got to tell you, that would, uh, that would, that would um, erase a lot of you know, my misgivings about offering him this job right then and there. Um, the, the, the tricky thing is, I have reached out, how I've done it with a lot of the writers is, is get in touch with one, ask if they're still in touch with a handful of others. Usually they will be with at least one of them, ah. and so on and on like that. But a lot of them aren't in touch with Conan anymore because he's obviously done a lot more exciting things from his life than most yeah, of yeah. them. But the, the tricky thing is I've reached out to his assistants, to his press people. Sona? And you, so, Sona's on maternity leave, so not Sona, a, a oh. replacement. But you, you you, will both know this, but dealing with PR people and, and media people is like trying to push that boulder up the hill in the pits yeah. of hell. It's just an ordeal. So if, if, any, if anyone listening to this can send actual a, a better <laughs> way of reaching Conan, go ahead. Um, it's very exciting. It really is. And so you were telling me, um, and I said save it for the podcast, that you actually got to the, uh, the roots of the backstory of one of the most quoted it's on the remnant bingo bingo card um the the line from millhouse where he says of the kids in shelbyville they like candy for the sweet sweet taste um so what happened there who wrote it the the episode the, the way they used to do writing and this could be a 50 minute tangent so i'll condense it the way they used to write scripts is one writer generally speaking one writer would get the outline and do the draft, but then the room collectively would punch it up and make the final version. So it could be that as little of 20% of what's in a finished show actually belongs to the writer credited with it. Mm -hmm. But the writer who had that episode did do a lot of the work on it. And I spoke to him on Wednesday night, Brent Forrester is his name, very nice guy. And he was telling me that he, that the story was his idea. He was shocked that they'd never done a Springfield versus Shelbyville show before. And he based it on his childhood memories of frolicking with slingshots and running around outside in, the, in this strange interzone part of Northern California. But at the same time, uh, uh, he, he didn't write that line. He wrote a lot of the, there's a great line I love where Bart and Milhouse are looking at two other kids through a, a pair of binoculars and Milhouse, Milhouse says, what are they saying? I don't know. I thought you could read lips. I assumed I could. The sort of observational stuff was his speciality. But the writer who came up with that line was George Meyer, 
who wanted it to be sort of a parody of classic B-movie dialogue, those damn dirty Shelbyville kids with the sweet taste. And Maya, who I have been in touch with, he, he doesn't like talking about himself, so I haven't convinced him to do it yet, but he is, among comedy nerds, uh, revered. He is the, the Bill Buckley of comedy, but that's what the <laughs> conservatives listening to this will appreciate. Tr just worshipped for the influence he had on the show and the imprint he left on every script that was written during his time there. That line was his, and a lot of the most quoted lines came from him as well. So this is we're, we've entered a whole new level of nerd with this. I'm not sure I've ever been wow. this animated on the podcast. No, this is fantastic, no, and, I, and frankly, we we should talk about like if it if it really goes that long, doing it as like breaking it up into like a two or three part thing might make sense. You know, yeah, I was um, going to say that too. That way, you don't have to leave a lot on the cutting room floor, and you just have to think editorially like. Are there are there three legs of a stool thematically to it that you could so that would forgive you for going back you, in time? Funny for, that you, you know. say that because one of the one of the interesting things is that a lot of the writers the writers are all incredible nerds as you would imagine, but a lot of them for a long time the bulk of the writing staff was comprised of Harvard guys. Your right. favorite Jonah, which is you'll know from the, the fair Harvard scene and all of that. But yeah. a lot of them, when they were at Harvard, wrote for the humor magazine slash social club there called the Harvard Lampoon, yeah. which is based out of yeah. this bizarre castle in Cambridge. And just in case people don't know, has a lot of weird Masonic type secrets and rituals to it. And there's a big initiation process that they've, but people that aren't allowed to disclose and so on. They but made Steve Gutenberg a star. Yeah, they did. They keep the metric system down. Uh, and my idea, my idea initially was to, to focus it in just on that uh -huh. and what the writers' experiences there were like. But because so many, because I've got so much information from the people I've spoken to, and so many people I've spoken to also didn't go to Harvard, and some of the biggest people involved with the show. Some of them didn't have any real college education at all, or it wasn't terribly noteworthy. That could be, that could be an initial piece, and then the follow-up could be actually digging into the different eras. Yeah, so well, we should talk about it. We don't need we don't need to hash it out here. Well, but, it could be uh, a book. It, um, it could be a book too. That could work. It could. It could indeed. Um, or you you could have like the ten best quotes from it tattooed on your back. I mean, they're just I, the I list of do. options is huge. Endless. Um, I should say just. I mean, since we've done no philosophical thumbsucker here the reason why i love that line other than like the superficial funniness of it is that so you know as readers know like i'm i'm like really into the evolutionary psychology stuff and you know particularly after writing suicide of the west and the uh one of the things i'm you know every six months or so like i i link to this essay by this guy john tooby who's basically the founder of evolutionary psychology um and called the coalition, uh, the coalitional instincts. And um, we'll put it in the show notes. And one of the points he makes, a lot of other, you know, a lot of philosophers made this point, whatever. It's a big part of, of, of my book is, is that um, when you're in a sort of tribal mentality, you will often take people, you know, members of the in-group will, um, take attributes of the other group that are either entirely arbitrary or identical to something that their group does, but just in a slightly different way. So like the famous Star Trek where, you know, these two guys hate each other because one guy has, 
They both have uh, half white, half black faces, but one guy has the black on the left side and the other guy has the black on the right side. <laughs> and that's enough to hate each other. Um, <laughs> like the Crips and the Bloods, a huge part of their differences boiled down to what color clothes they wore. Um, you know, the, mm. these superficial tells um, become symbolic of vast storehouses of, of meaning and animosity towards others. And um, you see this so much with the sort of partisan stuff, particularly on, on the Twitters, where Republicans, you know, the right-wing Twitter denounces Democrats for lying and not believing in the truth. Um, and at the same time, having no problem with lying and rejection of truth from members of their own coalition and, yeah. and vice versa, right? It's just sort of like the thing, the internal problems of your group become invisible to you. Um, it's sort of like popular front politics and the, the, the sins of which the sins that your group shares, but the sins of the other group become highly visible. And so when Millhouse says, you know, Oh, I hear those Shelby Shelbyville kids really like candy. They like it for the sweet, sweet taste. He makes it sound like there's another reason to like candy. That's what kids do is they like candy because <laughs> it's candy, you know. Um, and so I thought it was just sort of this brilliant. It had a lot of layers to it, and it always comes up. And whenever I hear, whenever I hear people go on massive Mark Levin style stem winders about how evil the other side is for crap that Mark Levin turns a blind eye to five days a week. Only, only turkeys have left wings, Jonah. We learned that <laughs> from the Simpsons as well. It's just, um, uh, I, I'll often just sort of mutter, you know, oh, those, those Democrats, they like candy for the sweet, sweet taste. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, um, I'm sure there's more we can talk about. I, I, but we should get going. Um, I have issued a fatwa. I had to have, uh, both Steve and I had to turn our keys simultaneously, but, um, I had the Wednesday G file unlocked for the masses. Um, and, oh, um, and I planned on talking about it here, but we just, we're just having too good a time. You were having too much fun. Um, and, uh, it was very good though for if, if somehow people haven't read it yet. Yeah. Well, I, the, one of the reasons why I wanted to unlock it is one, I, I liked it. Um, um, yeah. Two, I might want to pick up on it on today's G file, and I thought I was going to talk about it here, but also um, because I want to encourage people who don't yet aren't yet paid members of the dispatch community um, that you will never have to worry about whether or not Steve and I turn our keys to unlock stuff uh, if you are it's a paid there. member. It's just there for you anytime that you want it. Comes to your mailbox. Also, you know, we often hear from people about how you know we send too much stuff. And uh, you don't have to have the newsletter sent to you. You can just go to the website and look at them and, and, and not sign up for everything. That's fine, too. But we think doing more and we want to do a lot more. And one of the ways we're going to do a lot more, we're going to start branching out into other stuff, um, is if we can just keep the success rolling about getting um, uh, you know, uh, membership continue to go up. And we're going to press it pretty hard in the fall. Um, we want to grow. We want to become um, as successful as conceivably possible. And we want to think. And among the reasons we want to do it is none of us took a vow of poverty around here. But another one is um, we want to prove that doing uh, honest center right journalism, where we're honest about what our biases are and aren't, 
um, that's fact-driven, that's not hysterical, um, can actually succeed in, in, in today's business environment. And we want to signal to everybody out there that, that we're a place you can rely on, whether you agree with everything we do or not. And we want to, um, and I will say personally, you know, uh, this is not the mission of the entire dispatch, but part of the reason, you know, on the, we can call it the opinion side of the dispatch. Uh, you know, one of my priorities is to, you know, pull the GOP back onto a saner path and the American, maybe not the GOP, but the American right on a saner path. And if the American right gets on a saner path, the GOP will follow. Um, and, uh, I try really hard not to think about like what's good or bad for the GOP anymore. Um, and, uh, um, so, you know, if you, uh, if you think any of that sounds interesting or exciting and you're not yet a paid member, we would really love it if you could be. Um, and at the very least, you know, it'll, if, if we become, if we stay on prog on, on course to become as pro as successful as we, we, we think we will be, and we certainly hope we will be, it will make a lot of the right people angry. And, uh, and so if, if that's your Twitter mindset that, that it's just, it's, it's not just that dogs succeed, but cats also fail. Um, that's fine. We'll take it and please become a paid member. If you can, you can, you can cancel at any time. And, uh, other than that, thank you, Ryan. Thank you, British guy. And, uh, um, and thank everybody for, uh, listening and I'll see you next time. Okay. Guy, Jonah, and I are conducting an experiment here on this podcast. If you usually listen all the way up to this point to the remnant where the guest says, no, you want this podcast, tweet me. I'm not hard to find. Uh, it should be pretty easy. Um, just let me know. We're very curious if people care, if people still think it's funny, if it's annoying. Um, cause frankly, he ends the podcast pretty much the same way every time. Why do you keep listening to this point? Let us know. Tweet me. And if you listen all the way to the end of the music, tweet me again, but tweet me specifically the last few lines of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I'm not talking pre-credits, I'm talking post-credits, because we're now in this realm of, of post-credit world here at the end of the music. So tweet me the last few lines of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. We'll see you next time.